0: Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joshua Fravlin. Um Joining me tonight, as always, is Craig um Girdelli, you could find him at mmflyhalf on twitter and
1: surprise appearance for the first time and it feels like forever liam poach how you doing guys i'm doing pretty good just uh got a tattoo today so feeling pretty tender in the leg uh at the moment but other than that great to be back with the eod crew i uh
2: i sorry go ahead you're gonna ask about liam's tattoo
0: no, no. I was just say I I know how that feels. I know exactly <laughs> how that feels. Oof. So, yeah. Right, Craig, how you doing?
2: I do, I do not know how that feels.
1: Uh, no tattoos for you there, uh, Army boy. Pure, pure as the driven snow.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: Even temples have drawings,
2: Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After <laughs> Ranger School, there was a drive to get a, a Ranger tab tattoo, which I I declined. Uh, in fact, when I was in high school, a lot of my high school baseball teammates got uh, tattoos of our team, which I actually I went to the tattoo parlor to get it, and then I backed out last second. That was as close as I ever got. <laughs> um, I did, however, almost impromptu start a fasting diet today. It's one of these I, I got basically sold on Facebook uh, by some weight loss uh, gimmick. It's probably gonna be a complete waste of money and time but we're gonna try it and i was like i saw it like okay this is interesting it's asking questions about my body and stuff like maybe it's there's some science here and then after i agreed to whatever it was like three bucks a week for this fasting app uh it tried to upsell me for like 500 other dollars of stuff immediately and i had to skip through like 10 additional things i didn't want to buy
1: and i was like oh man this already seems like such a scam so, so I was just going to say, dude, like it's a fasting app that you're paying for. So you're paying to not eat food is, am I correct? in? <laughs>
2: right. I, I mean, I guess in a sense I'm pay, I'm uh, paying to not eat food. So I'm saving the money on the food and a small portion of that goes to the app. Um, you know, it like tracks stuff for me. So I mean, it, it just know. like
1: tells you when to not eat food. It does. Uh, like, yes.
2: I start a clock and it lets me know when my fasting period is complete, and then I can track my calories, my steps, and my water intake during my non-fasting period. Uh, and then it's supposedly tell you I do this stuff. Yeah, in a month I'm, I'm gonna lose X number of pounds. So you'll see if I get really skinny on the show. You know, know it's working. It's gonna start
1: wasting away. <laughs> like that. You're gonna be like a uh, like like Denison. It's always sunny. Like you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Hey, if it, if it yeah. works, send it my way. So, because yeah. we all know I need to lose weight. Jumping right into it, first match of the weekend, we saw Old Glory get their first victory. Um, Utah started started strong, um, got up nine to nothing, and then it was all DC from there. You know, tries from Junior Sau, Penny the Saka, the return of Jamison Fanana Schultz, and then even Fintan Coleman got in got in there. Um no, there were. Well,
1: was there a significant injury for OGDC um, oh, yeah.
0: going into this they, they game? Did this like, with, they did it without chicken. Mike DeBose oh, yes. got injured against Toronto, um, and their kicking game suffered for it. They converted one of four tries, so um, and they didn't attempt a penalty kick at all. So we'll see how that affects them for the rest of the year. Um, controversy twice for Thomas Tuobau, Um First yellow card for um I believe it was a shoulder charge but it was it was kind of one of those 50-50 calls um and then his the second one right after DC scored to take the lead right off the kickoff um, hit uh, I forget who Penny Lasaka in the head but the TMO ruled that it was that Lasaka was dropping and opted to mitigate it down from a penalty or excuse me mitigate it down to a penalty from a yellow card. Um, I guess what, what else did you guys see in this game besides, you know, it ended up being a pretty good match overall. Uh,
1: definitely ended up being a good match, but I think that's just because it was too, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about sort of different tiers and, you know, hierarchy of the league later on in the show. And I think it's just because it was, you know, a, a clash of two bottom tier teams desperate, you know, to save some sort of, you know, uh, face uh, for, for for their season and definitely credit to, uh, to old glory. Uh, you know, like I was watching highlights of this game uh, earlier today, even, and they stayed on the attack. They stayed aggressive and they were, they were a little bit more uh, together on defense in terms of smothering the initial uh, ball carrier. So I think they, you know, they took away a lot of those easy scoring opportunities that they've been giving up uh, for the first half of the season. Uh, but again, I'm just not entirely convinced that that is going to remain a consistent uh a plus to their game going forward because they still have to uh, play the rest of the uh, MLR East for the remainder of the season. And
0: they get Dallas. Yeah. All right, Craig, what would you see?
2: I mean, I guess, you know, the most notable thing to me here is just the continuation of, of the two different trends. I think Utah started off not great, but, you know, at least dangerous, like maybe they'd have a, what it took to make some kind of playoff run or stay competitive. And they seem to be getting further and further from the competitive level or you know, top level. Old Glory started all, I mean, look at it, Old Glory's results. They, I mean, their first few games, they lost 55-22, 57-12, 41-25, 29-5. So, for example, they lost at home to Toronto 29-5 back in February 26th. They played Toronto again last week, and they only lost by five in Toronto. So, I mean, I I think you're you're seeing a clear progress. Their last few games, even though this is the first time they've won, they only won by one point, I mean, they lost by five last week in Toronto and then by four to New York the week before that. Uh, So, I mean, I I think they've really, since Nate Osborne has come into the picture in BC, I think they've really made themselves a more competitive side. Um, probably, you know, not a not a crazy jump to say it's a little too little too late for this season, but um, not too late to be a spoiler, and not too late to build up some pride and some team morale for next year. So I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see if those trends continue. But I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if by the end of this season, Old Glory finishes with more table points than Utah.
1: So obviously this isn't the NFL and uh you know teams bringing in new head coaches isn't as simple as offering them the most money but would you guys be surprised if uh you know OGDC were looking at this as sort of an audition period for Nate Osborne to possibly take over the job permanently cuz you know if you look at DC there's a lot to like about it they have uh they have really good connections um uh, w- with the facility at, the, at which they've been playing uh, for Loud uh RFC or Sorry for for Loudon FC because it's soccer. I think
0: it's, it's Loudon United. Loudon like United, yeah.
1: yeah. So they have a great relationship with that team in terms of getting those facilities. Um, you know, in in terms of their academy program, they're way ahead of the game uh, when compared with other teams. They also they have they most likely have the number two overall pick coming up in the draft, uh, or un- unless they trade it that away, I think we got to take a look at some of those transactions. But there's a lot to like about the future of D.C. in terms of the ownership group, in terms of the foundation that they've been setting there. That the fan base is also great. They're very supportive down there. Um, You know, I think that if if Osborne is willing to make the move, I think that would be a great destination for him to end up in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was saying they officially called him the interim head coach, but... You don't you, you don't know I guess what's going on in the background if he's interested in that job long term, if he wants to live in DC or, or or what, but um certainly it seems like a I mean it's not like the type of interim head coach where you just promote the number two guy on the team and he takes over till you run a process. I mean they ran a process to find an outside guy and bring him in. That seems like you know, pretty close to just picking a new head coach, you know, unless unless he just doesn't want the job. So I'd say, you know. Assuming he is amenable to it, I think there's a good chance he stays as head coach.
0: Yeah, I, I think when they announced this, they said they expect him to, you know, be one of their top candidates. But they would also be, you know, conducting a search just in case, like like Craig said, like if he even wants the job. So uh, next up, speaking of Toronto, them home again, they put on a show for the home fans beating Nola 53 to 36. Um, I think no arrow had more than one try. It was like one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight different Toronto arrows scored a try. Uh, you know, Sammy Malcolm uh, converted three of the five. Um, two of them were straight under the post. And then Will Kelly went 0 for 1. Um, and then for Nola, I mean, on a normal day, you would expect this to like do great, but against Toronto, it just didn't look like much. I mean, they had five tries uh, from Cam Dolan, Harley Wheeler, uh, Moni Tongauiya, Juan Capialo, and Nick Feeks. So it was it was definitely a a, a good game. Our, don't cut yourself short there, Ben. It was a good game, but you you're right. It, there were phases where you guys struggled. What what else
1: did you guys see in this game? Um. I see a NOLA team that struggles to play from behind. I, I feel like they have to they have to get off to a fast start, and they have to be dominating teams early on. They have to get that confidence up, and they have to get into sort of the ebb and flow of the way that they play their game. And I think that I think those Canadians they're, they're like a big old diesel engine up there. It takes them a little while to get started up, like it did in the first few games of the season. But once it gets going, man, you really can't stop them arrows. No, that's uh, that's quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think
2: Toronto is—you uh, know—they're also a, a team that's sort of on the rise. I mean, think they, they, they've—they started pretty slow, and of course, they play mostly away games at first, so there's understanding of that. But they look pretty dangerous to me right now. I mean, they—they very they, little consistency. It's hard to predict from one week to another what Toronto team is going to show up. But uh, there's on, on their good days, I feel like they have a chance to beat any team, and. Um, you know, I, I certainly as a, as a fan of a team in the East, you know, they're a team. I, I watched them beat New York a few weeks ago. And, you know, they're, they're a team I fear to play uh, from the fan side. Um, I, I think I saw it actually may have been Ben on Facebook or, or somebody uh, on Facebook from the NOLA fan group wrote like a, a blog about like a, a wasted season or something, uh, which made me a little sad for NOLA. Um yeah, you're just not used to seeing Nola so non competitive. I mean they're uh their point differential besides Old Glory and Dallas who have been the clear last place teams in, in both conferences thus far. Negative I, fifty. Yeah, minus fifty. I mean that's really not comparable to any other team other than Old Glory and Dallas, who are both worse. But I mean the next worst after them is negative six in Houston. So I mean they're they're pretty Pretty bad. They've gotten beaten pretty badly this year. Um, you know, they've given up 284 points again. It's second most in the East, and would be second most in the West as well. So, you know, they're just—they're not doing it on defense. They're not doing it really anywhere. Um, and now their boy Nate Osborne's in DC, reviving a franchise, and uh, they gotta be wondering what's going on down there in the Big Easy. Yeah, you
1: yeah. know, it's it's hard to say whether or not this was a surprise because i think i think ahead of the season when they announced that Nate Osborne was no longer the coach for Nola that they were bringing in Kane Thompson who was a former assistant and before that a former player um people were like it's 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 50-50 it's going to be hot or cold what what one way or the other either the whole player centered you know approach is going to work and that they're going to you know make it over that hump or they're going to lose that you know, that clubhouse stability that somebody like Nate Osborne uh, brought and it's going to have a, a negative effect bleed out onto the field. And what, we're, what we've are what we been seeing is the latter, unfortunately. You know, I haven't really heard anything about, you know, Kane Thompson standing in the locker room. You know, um, he obviously had a successful stint as a player and obviously had a successful stint as an assistant because they promoted him and felt comfortable promoting him. Uh, but it's it'd be interesting to hear how, you know, they're three and seven, 10 games are gone. They're not making the playoffs. They're picking in the top five of the draft regardless. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, do you want to try to make it back up over that hump with, uh, with, with an inexperienced coach like Thompson for a second year, um, you know, see if he gets a little bit better or are you going to move on to somebody a little bit more experienced, like bringing back Osborne? There's an idea. I can't wait for the
2: Osborne off-season love triangle to play out. Uh, (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Um, And you know, I guess another thing about Noah, which I guess as a USA rugby fan, I don't say saddens me, but I I notice is I I feel like Cam Dolan has put a lot of miles on. He's he's been around a long time, and um, yeah, I just don't see him him doing his typical impact sort of play much this year um so you know that that also maybe true to the and zR but I
0: also I also wonder how much of that is attributed to him trying to conserve because they have you know a number of players that just I mean Andrew garre is still recovering from his broken leg um they don't really have the lock depth that they normally do so i like maybe it's just to him trying to like you know get through this full season instead of just him being able to go all out knowing that, if, hey, if he needs a game, someone else can step up.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't seem like his sort of character, but if it is, even if that were the case, I think, you know, and it, it amounts to the same thing for Noah, right? And you have a, a guy who you're, you're typical, you're, you're used to relying on for game-changing performances, and he's not really getting them this year, so. Just another, but, another, just another hurdle they have to find a way over.
0: I, I, and then speaking of players that, you know, need an answer, is like Ben Ben asks, like, is Feeks an answer at 10? Probably not. I think he does better on the wing. And they, I mean, Robbie Coleman was the last minute injuries, injury sub, um, or last minute injury on Saturday. So they had yeah. to put um, Feeks at 10 because that's who they had. Was like it's their fly half depth are is Robbie Coleman, JP Eloff and Mick Fakes. That's it. And then I, don't know, I I think he's right. I think looking at the draft, looking ahead to the draft, they do need to draft a fly half, or mm-hmm. sign a fly half of some sort.
1: I mean, th- thus far, back row players I think have fared pretty well, uh, making the transition from college to the draft. You look at people like Connor Mooneyhand, You look at people like Naposki, the last two number one overall picks. And people have been getting value in like the, the, those first few picks out of the of the first round of the MLR draft. I can't can't so much say that about Kale Hodgson for the Free Jacks, but you know he's 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 doing pretty okay right now down in Dallas. That's I think that's a good opportunity for him. We've been getting you know good play out of guys like Spencer Kruger, Kruger uh, who's a hooker uh, for the for the Free Jacks. He's a good good rotational guy doing uh, doing well in development. Um, you Duncan know, So, I mean, it, it's, it's a good era for MLR when you can look ahead to something like the draft and have tangible evidence that the, that you can get players who will make an impact right away.
2: I mean, D- Duncan Van Skolkwik, right, he was a draft pick for Atlanta. He's now their starting fly half for the most part. Uh, um, I mean, sometimes he takes a backseat to Kurt Coleman or whatever, but uh, he primarily he's been their, their, their main fly half for this season and uh, a strong season, so. All
0: right. Uh, let's move on. Um, but I will actually one cool moment from the game that we don't see that often, and um, that Karen brings up is like the the try off the post. Uh, I thought that was you know it was a pretty cool moment from the game. Um, but next next game up, Craig, uh, Seattle San Diego. What what happened here?
2: Good game, you know, entertaining game, and this is one of the hard. This was one of the harder ones to pick coming in. Um, I think. Uh, I think Seattle had a slightly tweaked game plan this week that um, you know I, I think gave them an edge. So I mean, just as, by way of rundown, I mean they started off. I, I think the first score was actually a, a, a penalty goal for Peterson, but the first try was to Seattle. They, they took a lead. They pretty much kept a, a solid lead throughout. San Diego never let it get out of control. They, you know, they routinely scored just to keep the game somewhat. In range, um, but they never really threatened to win. After Seattle took that early lead, the tries were for Seattle were Isefo, Smith, Hadding, Creel. I, San Diego actually, I think scored. Uh, uh, I think they scored. Um, yeah, they scored five tries to Seattle's four. Malcolm had two, Ayuki had two, uh, and Torori had one. So they actually outscored Seattle tries wise, but uh, between the, the boot of AJ Alatimu, um, Seattle you know, ended up still winning the game. Uh I, I think what I saw though, I mean that, that, those are kind of a stat rundown, but what I saw just watching the game was Seattle's doing a great job of getting their big runners into space in the way that actually I think San Diego normally likes to do with David Tamalow. Seattle kind of outdid them in that. This way with Samuel Manoa, with Ben Landry, they were getting those guys the ball away from where the forwards typically congregate and take big hits. Like, you'd see the ball go through the hands towards the wing and be, like, maybe one pass away from the wing, and Samuel Manoa would come running on, and he would just bury some San Diego back that was trying to tackle him. So they did a good job of of creating line breaks that way, especially early. Um, You know, the scrum was kind of all over the place, uh it, it went back and forth a bit. Um but uh and and the, the other thing they, they did a good job of on the Seattle side was getting the ball instead of playmakers in a little bit of space, like not just a foot before taking defensive contact. There was some crazy play where ISF who ran through the middle and had like a sixty meter um line break. It, I think it was a kind of a, maybe it was a kick uh it, it was kind of a weird broken play, but Stuff like that, or to to uh, Petty. they got the ball away from the nine, basically where I think it was getting stuck last week. I, I think having AJ on a team start really helps Seattle, I and mean, I think he he enables a lot of it to work. And I think they were they were emboldened by the home crowd, um which gave them kind of the probably that extra oomph. to. They pulled a lot of defensive stands early, Um so yeah. I mean, I think it was a good win for Seattle. They played. Very well overall. I thought a very well-rounded game. San Diego, San Diego I thought played fine too. I just think they, they kind of got out game planned really. They, they, Joe Peterson was like launching these at least a couple times. He kind of launched these curious crossfield kicks. Like they weren't far downfield. There wasn't like an obvious overlap that he was that at least not that I could see that he was trying to exploit, which gave me the sense that they were feeling like out of ideas. They couldn't find a real way to crack Seattle's defense. Um, and so they was kind of taking Hail Mary shots to see if, if they can generate something that way. So, uh, you know, I thought good, good effort by both sides, classic Western conference OG battle. I think I saw, I think I heard them say in the pregame that these two teams have played each other more than any other two teams in MOR history. Uh, so if, if I heard that right, that's cool. Uh, But nice, nice win for Seattle. They they stay in the playoff race for at least another week, and uh, let's see if they can build some momentum from that. Liam, what'd you see?
1: Um, Unfortunately, that game was at the same time as Houston versus LA, uh, and a game that I was actually at. Um, I mean, I I saw some of the highlights uh, from it. Obviously, when I was just doing my research ahead of the show, and I, I, you know, I I noticed a lot of uh, the stuff that Craig had uh, had mentioned. Uh, I kind of see Seattle as sort of the Toronto of the Western division though, because, you know, in, in j- just kind of like, uh, uh, kind of like Toronto, they're stuck with that in that log jam right now with New York and the standings and for the, for the number three seed in the playoffs, whereas Seattle is jammed up there with Houston and with San Diego, uh, you know, at five and five across the board. Um, and Seattle's, it, they're not a team where you're like, Oh, they're a clear, you know, contender. They're a clear threat to winning the MLR shield. But at the same time, they're, they go along with that age old cliche. Nobody wants to play that. Nobody, nobody wants to play with that with the playoffs on the line. Well, yeah, nobody wants to play anyone with the playoffs on the line. You always run the risk of losing. But Seattle, dangerous team nonetheless. Um, and also my former roommate Darrell Williams there um, in development, second round pick. Love you, man.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I didn't wasn't paying much attention because I think you're right, Liam. I was paying more attention to LA Houston um, yeah. just because where the revenge might have come into play but you know i I was taking peaks and it was slow start and then it was just all of a sudden poof there was a bunch of scores and and it ended up being a great game so and then speaking of the la houston game while you were there Liam, we saw you almost get hit with a ball on tv um how was the experience and then how was the game
1: uh, the experience was great. Um, so my first time around when they, when uh, when I went to the game, when they were playing the Free Jacks, I parked, you know, like a mile from the stadium and walked because I was like, $30 for parking. <laughs> no, no, no. But this time around, I, I left my apartment in here in North Hollywood like 40 minutes before the game. And, of course, getting to the Coliseum in the middle of the afternoon on any day of the week is a nightmare. So I ended up parking in the pink lot, paid the $35 for parking, you know, after the $47 that I paid on Ticketmaster for the ticket in the first place. Um, but by the time I got in, um, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. You get there on the concourse, you, um, you, you can pretty much sit anywhere. Should I say that on the podcast? I'm like, I didn't sit in my assigned seat, dude. I went down to the front row because there was nobody sitting there. Um, and it looked like I was the only uh, person wearing any Houston gear other than, uh, the, other than their team employees. Uh, but everybody was cool. Uh, they didn't let me keep the ball, man. So, all right, on, so, so, so this is so funny. So they, they kicked the ball out of bounds, right? And I caught it. This isn't the one that almost hit me in the face while I was drinking my martini. But, so I catch the ball, and I throw it back to one of the Houston subs. I'm going to have to look up again who it was. It was uh, – what, what was his name? It was – Wait, you wanted to keep it, but you threw it back to the sun. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, it was Diego. It was Diego Fortuny So, you were like, here, can I keep this? Well, no, no, no. So I threw, <laughs> it back to, I threw it back to Diego, and he was just like, "No, dude, you keep it. Make sure that, like, you know, you don't you don't give it to a Guiltinis fan." And I was like, "Dope." I don't think I, they're going to let me get away with this. Uh, and sort of security came over, and I was just like, "Yeah, here you go."
2: Uh, but you then, like, I don't have a rugby ball. I'm just <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I, I'm pregnant.
0: <laughs> did did you well, look at Diego after that happened?
2: What No,
1: I didn't I I didn't wanna
2: <laughs> Maybe he was setting you up to get in trouble. He's like, yeah, yeah. you keep this. Anyway, he's like security, that guy just stole the ball. Yep, I, I took it from the ten year
1: old ball girl. <laughs> Man, but uh but thirty five bucks
2: parking, you can't even keep the
1: ball. But sec- second time around though, I was drinking my sixteen dollar giltini and ball gets kicked out of bounds almost and hits the chair like right next to me and of course i'm just that guy like "Ah!" you know but uh but yeah it it was a great experience um it's you know it's definitely not you know veteran stadium at quincy um you know definitely not aviva but uh you know great fans they're very spread out so it looks like a lot less people than it actually is but uh Still, so in terms of the game on the field, though, so final score, 17-12, to L.A. Guillotinis over the Houston Sabercats. Uh, Danny Barrett for the Houston Sabercats was the one to draw first blood. Uh, That was just scored just a few feet away from me there in the stands. It was was nice being on the side of the field where they scored most of their tries as opposed to the second half where that wasn't so much the story. Uh, But, however, L.A. was able to battle back – and uh, they, they were they were able to put up uh, some pretty I, I, I'm i not going to call it champagne offense because it wasn't very high flying, but it was just very consistent. It was very, you know, by, by the book, mechanical, moving up the field. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the forwards for L.A. just completely overmatched uh, the, the team of who was it for Houston. It was it was mirror. It was uh, the try scores. No, no, no! For, for uh, their front row is M- M- McDonald, Muir, and Zeiss for 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 Houston. That front row, I-, I I hate to make it sound personal, but that was one of the worst front row exper- uh, performances I've ever seen in Major League Rugby. At, on two occasions, I believe LA was able to win the scrum despite it being Houston's put in. Um, and then towards the end of the game, Houston was trying to drive towards the uh, was trying to was trying to drive towards the end goal. Unfortunately, it was their forwards that committed a number of penalties at the breakdown, and it all ended the comeback attempt when they were just at the just barely inside of the twenty meter line, looking like they were going to get that game winning score. Not rolling away, game ends. Uh, yeah, the need, Houston needs better performances. Needs more dis, uh, needs a more disciplined performance from their forwards, uh, from their whole entire team, in fact, uh, because they clearly had. They clearly had the talent to get past the LA defense. Um, there was uh, guys. I'm sorry, I'm awful with name name pronunciation here. The number the number eleven for Houston. Um, Ger- Jerry uh, Jerry Ger- What? Jerry Lobergshong. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, lo- yeah, lo- Yeah. Hot and cold performance from him during the game. A number of chip kicks that I thought were pretty inadvisable. However, him uh, people like him and uh, coach Sir Jalen Smith um uh, playing from the, playing from the scrum half position I thought were very shifty uh in terms of mo- in terms of moving the ball um and challenging Los Angeles but towards the end of the game Houston was trying to I think playing it a little bit more conservatively and the LA defense was able to tighten up and their uh their meters per pass just started to take a dive and that just ended up expending a whole lot of energy uh for the Saber Cats and the comeback by that point uh just wasn't very likely especially when you consider the amount of penalties that they were giving possession away to LA in the process. So uh yeah, Houston right there in the middle. Don't not, don't call it a comeback. Don't don't call it a comeback. I think Houston will finish the season respectively. Playoffs, not so sure.
0: Well yeah. hey hey right now third place it's third, fourth, fifth or twenty eighth, twenty seventh, twenty and 26 on points.
2: It's it's tight there for that last spot in the last. I thought the scrumming was I actually thought Houston I thought they did exactly what they needed to do. In fact, I thought Houston played pretty well except for the scrub, which was so weird because I realized they were missing them they didn't have their typical front row in there. But um, it was like everything worked just like you'd hope it worked. They, they actually did play a pretty vanilla standard attack with just a little bit of flair from like Danny Barrett, whatever. I, I thought they were, and they were winning. I mean, the game was always within reach, certainly. They were winning for a good portion of it. Um they were making it difficult for LA. You know, LA wants to play flashy champagne rugby. Houston wouldn't let them. They made it a more they made it Houston's type of game, a more slogging physical contest. But the, the only thing were, is though LA losing, did it better. Yeah, they were losing the physical battle in the scrum, which is not what you expect uh, for an LA versus Houston match. So I think that, that was what made the what I, I suspect made the ultimate difference. And but it, it wasn't even uh, it was like the beginning of the game. Houston was getting their lunch taken in the scrum, and then the end of the game. And in the middle, there was a phase where Houston was actually now ascended in the scrum. But they got they gave up the penalty try early in the scrum. Um, and then again, at the end, they were penalized a couple, once or maybe twice in key scrums where they, they lost by penalty. I also thought, uh, man, Hankel Hermeschei at 8. is looking so good. Uh, I mean, he's just playing really well. I, I feel like this experience in L.A., with the people around him there and getting more regular time at eight, which maybe is a better fit for his skill set, um, I really feel like he's developing. I mean, I've, I've always had a very high opinion of Panko, Um but I think he's really developing into an international level weapon. And uh, I hope, I hope he gets some reps at eight in, uh, in a USA Derby.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, Craig, that eight is a much better position for him. I think at the flanker position, he was a little bit more, Utilized defensively, um, in, t- in terms of just you know ma- make making sure that there's scr- uh that the other team scrum half wasn't going to be making a quick move. Whereas at the A position, I think he has a lot more instances in which the ball gets in his hand quickly right out of the scrum, so he's able to make that first challenge to the defense. You know, you know, hit, uh in coming through the a gap. Which is where you know he, he excels. He's like a bowling ball when he's running. He's not very, he's not very tall, but he's like a Johnny Ryberg or not Johnny Ryberg's size. of course. They, they have a real Ryberg on that team. but, uh, but you know he, he's a very he's a muscle hamster kind of guy. Yeah, going, going I think
2: it's good yeah. like a good comparison. He's he's like a forward Johnny Ryberg. I and mean, he is small. I mean, that's why he's always I think that's why there's been like a permanent inability to find a home for him on the field because he plays like a bigger player. But he's in fact not. He's a smaller, more muscular, you know, more of a bulky type of guy. Um, he's, he's an offensively minded eight man. Yeah, but that's the thing. He's an attacker first, so mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of him playing a position where attack is the first priority, as opposed to defense or ruck work or whatever.
0: And and I I do think people have taken notice. I mean, everything. Every time I go search, every time I'm just browsing through Twitter, you know, when you go to the search tab, if you're on your phone, you can scroll down and see topics. I, rugby is one of my topics and every, every, some of the posts from USA Rugby, TRN, MLR, Rugby Pass is like, hey, look at what Hako did. And it's been consistent posts. So, you know, the, something's definitely going right for him.
1: I know, it's like the, the hype from his days in Austin is back. You know, I feel like, uh, it, it's not that it didn't work out in New York, but again, I, I just I think he was underutilized at that flanker position as more of a defensively um, defensive-minded player as opposed to offensively there at eight man in L.A.
2: And let's be honest, I think L.A. at least at times runs the most sophisticated attack in the M.L.R. So I think I feel like he's learning. They may actually run a more sophisticated attack than Team USA does. Uh, so I think he's actually it feels like he's learned even more. Yeah, it feels like he's taken another step in his progression as a player since he's been there.
0: All right. Uh, because of this game actually happened, we have to touch on it. Uh, Liam, do we <laughs> – Did <we're>, it really <laughs> happen? <laughs> hey, a 6'9 man played wing, started at wing. Yes, it happened. <laughs>
2: if a jackal gets drunk, on a going to go groaning in the woods and no one's there
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right. So what was it, dude? Like 55 to 3? It was –
0: Fifty-seven to three, yeah.
1: 57 I think it was to the, three.
0: the record record margin victory in Major League Rugby.
1: Yeah, well, dude. So, not gonna lie, one time my rugby team in college we lost like a hundred and four to like like nine or something like that. Like, like you, it, 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 the, the numbers. You sure, dude, you weren't thinking the, the, the Eagles
0: the and school? the All
1: Blacks. What?
0: You sure you're right think thinking of the, the Eagles and the all Blacks?
1: There's a breaking
2: yeah, right. point. I, I think anyone who's played rugby could admit this, if they're being honest. There's a breaking point in a game where you're losing by enough that you stop trying. And then you lose by, like, triple that number by the end. <laughs> so, I guess, like, an interesting question is in the MLR, what is that gap when you're like, all right, just score? I'm not making I it think making it score. was, like,
1: 40, maybe. Or, or honestly, I, I think it was, I think for the Jackals, it was, like, 0-5, 0-6 in their record. Because I haven't seen them try a whole lot since then, they're they're lining up for the for the next number one overall pick. They they're lining up to get a new coach. This year is a wash. This year was meant to build their fan base, sell season tickets. Uh, everybody has a good time becoming a Jackals fan. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, oh my God, what a the Jackals have given up a stunning.
2: Four hundred and twenty-seven points. The next highest in MLR is three fifty-two. So they're you know seventy-five-ish points more than the next highest, and that's three fifty-two is massively higher than the next closest, what I think so, is. So uh,
1: breaking breaking news here on Earful of Dirt: the Dallas Jackals are being relegated to the PRP. On uh, back will be <laughs> will we'll be making their MLR debut next week. Yeah. I mean, they they
2: played ten games, so they make the math easy. They're averaging giving up forty two point seven points a game. Uh, pretty, that's pretty tough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's just there's just a psychological breaking point where you stop being willing to like put your neck and spine on the line to
1: make a tackle. You know, what, it, but but I I think the saving the psychological saving grace of this season will be the whole like we lost five players to injury you know during, dur- dur- like during that walkway collapse and you know what, you know what fine is if if that gets you through the season to blame it on that sure sure why not I
2: mean I thought they were trending in a nice way before that yeah they were they were playing sort of competitively but yeah that that certainly seemed to put the kiss of death on any any hope for anything. Yeah. It, their season just yeah. collapsed. Man. Just, yeah. <laughs> God damn it.
0: Neil. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of Dallas and they're being on the low on the total pull, Let's talk hierarchy of the league. Um, we could we can realistically put New England and Austin at the top. Obviously, Dallas is at the bottom. I think DC finally moved up a tier with the
1: win.
2: Um, did it, they? I'm, did they
1: move up a tier? Really? Because uh, like, here's the thing, I, when, when I'm thinking about tiers, whether it be MLR, NFL, NBA, I always see three tiers. I see, like, legitimate contenders, good playoff, like, you know, legitimate, like, championship contenders, playoff contenders, and teams that suck. So, but let's, let's do it this way.
2: Let's say teams that are, we think are definitely in the playoffs, teams that have a shot to make the playoffs, and teams are definitely out. Yeah, so... Yeah,
0: I I like that idea, Craig. Okay, so you we go in order then. Teams
2: are definitely out. Dallas, Dallas, Utah. No, is Utah definitely out? I'd say probably.
1: You, Utah right now is at 2 and 7 14 points. They're behind. The next closest is is Houston in in the Western Division at 26 yeah. points. They got So 14. that's twelve. So that's 12 points. What so
2: 14, Utah, well yeah, but they got to get they got to get up to thirds. they They're 14 table points in the
1: hole for a playoff spot.
2: Mm. Yeah, they're
1: probably they're probably out. <laughs> yeah. That's at this point, when math gets involved, and don't get me wrong, I don't like that. the The West still has still has a bunch to offer because you know, but uh, the the gap between Austin and Houston is ju- just like U- U- Utah and Houston is twelve points, but thirty eight versus twenty six is a lot different than twenty six versus fourteen. And, um, you- and, and right now, the number twenty in the the, the three seed is twenty eight points for San Diego, so that's only a two point difference. So. Yeah, So for Houston and Seattle, mathematically, it absolutely makes sense that they're still in, in playoff contention. So I would put them right there in that middle tier, along with Toronto and and Rugby uh, New Jersey, or Rugby Hobo, uh, whatever you want to call them. Hoboken uh, United. Because hobo yeah, hobo hobo right now, that, that, that number three seed in the East is also neck and neck at 30 points apiece for New York and for Toronto. Um, Nola, nineteen points, only eleven, you know, point difference there. What are you, what are you guys thinking? Because I mean, Craig, you're the one who works in finance. Me have well, a hey, degree. Re-
0: real quick before Craig, you get going. Um, technically, Dallas is not mathematically eliminated
2: yet. <laughs> There's wow. this much of a chance. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not true, though, right? Cause are you factoring that some of these teams play each other? It's so like one of them will have to win or draw well say- so um i I apologize
0: I forget who keeps track uh, on the ml rugby subreddit let me actually look real quick um oddball gentleman who is or, or excuse me I apologize John Hooley is actually came up with this um, big Austin fan um Dallas will be eliminated from playoff contention with a loss versus old glory and a San Diego win or a Seawolves bonus point win this So they're still technically in the there's, race. <laughs>
1: there's still a chance. There's still a Do you guys remember like I don't know how much like you followed like NFL on social media but like people were obsessed with laying out the Lions path to the playoffs like when they were like 0 and 10, 0 and 11. Like so, somebody would just be like like would go through every single game coming up and they're like this is what has to happen. That's good. That's that's you know when our, our fan base in MLR is
2: maturing that we're in, that people the fans are, are calculating playoff scenarios. But yeah, yeah. so I, think, I mean I, I think I, the, that seems pretty. Let's say this: I think the East is clear. Well, you know what? I shouldn't even say that because let's put this thing in context. New England is first in the East with thirty-seven. Uh, you know, Hobuni Ho, Ho, Ho is uh, fourth with thirty. So there's seven points out of first the gap between 1 and 2 in the West is 5, 38 to 33. So number 3 in the West is 10 points away from first. So Rooney is actually closer to first as a fourth-place team than San Diego is to first as a third-place team in the West. So the East is actually still – even even though the West is very competitive in the middle, the East is still pretty even along the top. Um, But I I do think – you yeah, intuitively, I agree with you. I think the, the middle tier is probably Toronto, Rooney, San Diego, Seattle, Houston. I think the definite ends are Austin, L.A., New England, and Rugby ATL.
1: For sure. And it, it's funny, though, because a few weeks ago, I don't think we would have put L.A. in that top tier. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think coming out of the West, we probably would have said San Diego. Where, you know We might have even said Seattle, or we might have left – uh, another wet uh, Western team out of the out of the top tier altogether. Yeah, because yeah. The, the, the the West, you know, for for the first five or six weeks of the season was not impressive. It wasn't outside of Austin. It wasn't very competitive. Um, although LA did score that victory over New England in Week Four, still. Yeah. Yeah, LA is the only
2: team that can beat the East. That, that's we've determined. Uh, LA destroys the East, and every other Western team struggles.
0: Uh, I, I was going to say we we need to wait. I think we kind of need to wait, maybe a couple more weeks to see until Austin plays another East team, because both times they've played an East team, they have lost pretty badly.
2: Yeah, and and in truth, I mean, they so look at they both both teams have played ten games. Austin and LA have both played ten games. Um, I mean, their stats are, are um, defensively, they're like almost identical. Right? They've given up, Austin's given up 139 points, LA's given up 146. So, I mean, those are pretty close numbers. The, the real gap, I guess, is Austin has surprisingly scored quite a bit more than LA. But is that a, that's something we really expect to continue for the rest of the season as LA kind of returns to their form from last year, and you wonder if Austin can maintain the pace that they started at. Yeah, you, know, you might. You know, I don't think it's crazy to, for someone to speculate that LA might, you know, even surpass Austin. Uh, I mean, they're you know, they they seem to have the the skill hidden in there somewhere. It hasn't come out all
1: the time this year, but only well, finally- also because LA has been finally been playing like they don't have Ashley Cooper and they don't have Gito. They I, I feel like they were still trying to. Run some sort of system, like you know, hoping that one or two players were going to be just that level of dominant, and that wasn't happening. And teams, and uh, the teams that they were playing knew that that knew that that wasn't going to happen, so they defended them, you know, in, in kind. I feel like LA is finally playing more complete games, using their roster in a more, uh, you know, complementary manner to one another. Um, you know, the, the the usage of Honko being a great example. Of the fact that you know playing at eight man, he's getting a little bit more early opportunities out of the set piece to make an impact. Um, so I I I totally agree that LA could very well uh, su- surpass uh, Austin as the one seed. Uh, hey man, give me a playoff game to go to in a, in LA. Come, in a, in a but now didn't. Uh, uh,
2: Did I see today that there's a disciplinary finding against uh, the guilty? The the, I don't know, tenth string fly half. They've gone through this season.
0: Yes, (laughs) Orini, i.e., has been suspended for his next three matches, Um, and they have said they specifically specified next three meaningful matches. The meaningful matches. I I can't
2: go play uh, the boys and girls club. uh,
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) He can't pull, he can't pull a sunny bill. That's um, give me, I think it's still on here. Um, Yeah.
2: So next eligible
0: match is May 21st against Dallas or following the players. Next three meaningful fixtures. So I was gonna say,
1: like, like, do they consider like like Dallas or Old Glory DC? <laughs> like, that's not a meaningful match. <laughs> well, I I it's wonder. I, well,
0: we made the. I just made the joke, but I do wonder if theoretically he could pull a Sunny Bell, like go play for you know On Back or somebody for a couple weeks and or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like that's expressed what they're trying to prevent with that language or the rulings. I'm gonna say you can't do that. Um,
1: he, he enrolls in UCLA. Just <laughs> yeah, because it, it's
0: funny is because um, that that asterisk isn't on any of the other suspensions.
2: So. Yeah, it's, it's smart. But I like I like that idea uh, in general for all players you know, to avoid the Sunny Bill
1: sort of thing. Uh, Maybe he he was like walking out of the room. He's like, I'm just gonna go play club. What was that? Uh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make well, a note I, of that. I
2: play he you know, played in the co ed touch you know, uh LA League for uh three days in a row, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's back from the suspension. Uh but um uh so I mean who with him gone, who's the fly half? Burton. Luke Burns back. Burns back?
0: Yeah, he's been playing twelve for the past couple weeks.
2: Well, he wasn't doing so great at the beginning of the year. They're-
0: there's uh, also the rumor that Gitto is close to returning as well.
1: Yeah. I okay. heard that they're going to get a seven foot one winger to step in at fly half.
2: As long as he not six kick. foot nine, was impressive. We're to like a Johnny Ryberg at fly half type of situation here.
1: That's kind oh, of hey.
2: funny. Like a muscling man, like in the middle of the field, making his little short arm passes everywhere. No joke, win, but uh, we want to see him kick.
1: Yeah, remember when Paul Emmerich shook, shook things up because he put, like, um, Osea Kalinasau at fullback. He put Zach Pangella in at at, uh, at scrum half. Um, he had one other really weird position that that year. But I don't know. I, I, I love it when, when people just switch, like, you know, it's not like inside center to outside center. I love it when they're like, you know, what no, we're going to put this prop at wing. We're going to see what. Like, let's. It's kind of like what they did with Bastro. You know, I don't like. I know they don't like to say that he was a prop, but he was a prop. <laughs> yeah, well, I
2: think you know, uh, LA's season turnaround. I mean, it was. It, you know, they didn't play that long when they were struggling, but it did happen to occur with I think the rise of. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to say this, this guy's. Poor gentleman's name correctly. Oreni Ie. Is that how you say it? Oreni Or Oreni, Yeah. Um, Close enough. So without him, I mean that that could be thing that derails this this you know recent surge from L.A. All right. Uh,
0: we'll go lightning round real quick. Uh, we're we're coming up on time for I know a couple people. Um, real quick, the U.S. government has endorsed the World Cup bid. Uh, the White House has announced they will do or they will help promote the sport in the US and worldwide in a sustainable manner and will do and have made will have promised that legislation will be passed if awarded the world Cup bid if you would like to read the letter in full please go to usabid.rugby
1: uh, th- th- this is a really good thing to happen because I think um, World Rugby, one of their big concerns was about getting venues and about getting financing for certain cities and whether or not they could get the backing. I think with the backing of the federal government, it's going to, uh, you know, quell a lot of the fears of the people at World Rugby, uh, even though they're ones to talk about financial issues. Yeah, I
2: mean, isn't it going to quell their fears, though? I mean, you know, is there such a thing as promising legislation is going to be passed? Can you do that? Because. Well, like they don't, they don't have very easily pass much legislation.
1: Yeah, and well, honestly like, man take take it from a progressive uh Biden promising something doesn't always come to frickin' Hold fruition. on, hold on. There is a congressional bipartisan
0: rugby caucus.
2: Yeah, and how, how so, many votes did carry?
0: It's probably a decent number cuz there's like I I forget they brought it up originally. I forget how many people because um, I think they passed a resolution supporting this bid a, a couple of weeks ago. So,
2: all right. Well, uh, that'll be, the, that'll be the, the foothold of bipartisanship for Invictus 2. And when, uh, when rugby, con- yeah, first rugby broke apartheid. Then it comes to the USA and it solves our polarization problem. Uh, all right, <laughs> rugby is like,
1: what brings the U.S. together. Finally,
0: <laughs> hey, you never know. All right, picks of the week. Um, unfortunately. Uh games are overlapping once again. Um we have three games all starting at the same time. Um so these three games.
1: All-
0: yeah, I know. We all these three games are all starting at eight PM Eastern on Saturday, April twenty third. First up, Toronto versus Houston in Houston on the rugby network, T S N if you're in Canada, and then um SW two, whatever the hell that is. Um so Liam, who you got?
1: Uh, I'm gonna go Toronto minus three. Greg? Lynn, didn't give us any,
2: any insight into how he arrived at that. I, I think uh, I think these two teams play a similar sort of game, when, at least when they're playing well, like a, a very solid fundamental game with a little sprinkling of excitement here and there. Uh, so I think it's a, a good matchup. I think Houston being home, I'm going to give them the win. I'll say Houston by three. Yeah,
0: because I don't Toronto played well, started playing well on the road before they went home. But I think Houston, especially if it's windy, because for whatever reason, every game in Houston has been super windy.
1: Aviva um, is a really windy place. Like, believe me, dude, like I, I spent months there freaking uh, outside at practices thinking, oh, it's Texas. It's hot. No, nah, dude, it gets cold, especially in the evening. It's the wind is blowing. Screw that.
0: Yeah, I'll go Houston by five. Um, next up, East 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 Coast test for Austin. I don't know why I said East three times. Um, also, Saturday, April twenty third, eight pm Eastern on the Rugby Network. Your view, Austin facing NOLA. Craig, who you got?
2: Then you said Eastern for Easts. Uh, yeah, like it's this should be an obvious Austin pick, and yet I just feel this is like a trap game for Austin. Struggles against the East, NOLA. Nothing to lose now. Their fans are writing blogs about a lost season. You can almost see this going uh, to be a huge upset for Nola. So I'm going to pick Austin, but when Nola wins in a big upset, pretend I didn't do that and just replay the tape when I make this comment. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to say Austin by nine, but I would not be shocked at all if Nola just like pulls out a crazy upset and wins by ten.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I really have to agree with Craig on the, on this one, that this – this has the feeling of a trap game just in my gut, but uh, I'm actually going to roll with it. I'm going to say Nola by three, uh, and I'm going to say Austin two yellow cards in the game. There's going to be something to point to at the end of this. Hey, if they were if T- if tap starts working again, maybe you
0: can pick that during the game. Um, let's see, Liam, you playing music? No. Oh, sorry, that's me. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, that is my fault. I have some playing in the background and couldn't hear. Um, so I'm going to go awesome by five. I do apologize. Uh, my computer freaked out on me. Awesome by five. I do, I do. I do agree with you both. I think it is a trap game, but I think they pulled out in the end. Um, next up everyone's favorite match of the week. Wooden spoon, Dallas heading to DC <laughs> Fox sports two, by the way, <laughs> one of the national games of the week. Um, who y'all
1: got? Like, I'm going OGDC by like 21, dude. I I think they're I can't, all right, I can't make that joke. I'm I i do not want to tell the line, but I, I I I think they're they're riding strong right now after getting that first victory. I think Osborne is already kind of starting to instill his culture in the locker room. Uh, it's gonna be a try hard for them. I I know Dallas might give it the old college go. Um, uh, you know, thinking this might be their. Only chance in a victory for the season. It's not. They're going to lose. Um, yeah, I, I think DC rolls them. Me too.
2: I say DC or 14, but I actually don't mind when this is on FS2 because, again, let's be serious. Most people, if you don't follow MLR already and you're just going to happen on to a game on FS2, this one probably has some scoring. I mean, these teams give up like seven hundred combined points. So it may, yeah, it's not like someone's gonna watch like, oh, these teams aren't of the right quality for rugby. Yeah, and,
1: and both teams get decent amount a decent amount of people in the stands too.
2: Yeah, so you're gonna see scoring and you don't know what the hell you're yeah, what you're supposed to be seeing. So it may actually be a fine recruiting game to be on <laughs> fs 2 even though yeah, no one's gonna realize that these are the two last place teams. <laughs> you, are
0: you about thirty DC?
2: I say i glory by fourteen.
0: All right, I'm going to say, I'll probably say 20. Um, I, I do think DZ will probably pull away in the end. Um, next up, also on Saturday, but this one at 10 p.m. Eastern, Seattle visiting Utah. Hopefully Seattle doesn't have uh, non- uncontested scrums again because we all saw that, how that worked out um, and people were still confused. Um, Rugby Network, Fox 13+, Plus, KJZZ um, in Utah, kslsports.com. Radio broadcast. I think it's ESPN seven hundred AM. Um, this is pro-
2: way too many places for this game to be showing. I, One, I know two, three, four, five different
1: venues. Four of them are Utahs, so don't worry. Um, I oh, did they did they give like the Utah like commentators somewhere to go have their extremely biased commentary? <laughs> like you know in, in like a private space. They're like, hey, if you if you want if you want to hear people just. Absolutely, clearly rooting for one side <laughs> yeah. over the other. Come tune to this how channel.
2: That call, come on.
1: Hey,
0: we'll 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 see how it goes when they're gonna lose by ten points. I'm taking Seattle by ten. I'll
1: take. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go Seattle minus seven. I think Seattle's a lot more solid of a team, playing for a much more likely playoff spot. Uh, whereas Utah, I don't think your shield prediction's coming through, Craig. Sorry. No. I don't think so either. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to say
2: Seattle by seven.
0: All right. Uh, The other national game of the week, this one on Fox Sports One, in in Hoboken, we have the Free Jacks visiting New York, excuse me, New Jersey on Sunday, April twenty fourth at two thirty p.m. Eastern. Um, I, this could go either way. I know um, it was looked that it was exactly that way the last time these two teams played. Um I do think New England has the momentum. I'm going to go New England by by 3. Craig.
1: Hey, did you ever wear that Red Sox hat, Craig? Well, no. know since you skipped 8
2: weeks of the show, I guess you'll never find out. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, God, this pains me. I think I have to pick New England. I just you know, Rooney has seemed so lifeless to me lately. Um, really uninspired plays last few weeks. Of course, nothing like a new England game to bring out the inspiration in the New York side. So I'll be hoping, uh, for a a nice New York performance, but the analytical side of me is going to say new England by six. Uh, I'm going
1: to go new England by, I'm going to go new England by eight. Uh, so r- right now, I think um, New England has found what they were lacking last year, and that's an, a consistent attack out wide that isn't overly reliant on big champagne plays by uh, by Bodine Waka and Dougie Fife. Now, don't get me wrong; you still get a fair amount of those every game. Every game, but I think they've. Um, I think Mitch Wilson is really starting to come into his own. He got man of the match um, very recently. I think he's been one of the most underrated players in the league. You know, since the Free Jacks came in um but regardless i think that that back line i think that backline unit has been really uh working in a cohesion that that they were lacking last season i think the scrum still needs work i think uh i think the set piece execution from the scrum to the lineout needs work in general uh but i think that's something that can get you know fixed in the latter half of the season uh that chemistry is still growing uh especially under a new coach with some new players um, and kind of like Craig said, I I, th- I feel like New York is still definitely a contender. There's definitely a dangerous team uh, with the pieces to, you know, make like make like dif- make life difficult. Uh, but it's been their ability to finish in the second half that I think has been their downfall for the couple couple of games that they've lost so far. Uh, whereas I think New England has actually started to get over that hump. I think they, they, they think they've been playing some of their best rugby of the season in the final uh, twenty minutes of these games um, to you know, just, just to secure victories. Uh, or almost lose them in some of the, uh, you know, uh, the, the exceptions, to exceptions to that observation. So I'm going to go New England minus eight in this one. Uh, secure in that number one seed. Go, go Sox. Kid. I will say,
2: I will say that New York didn't get a bye week after losing by 40 points. So <laughs> there's probably been a lot of soul searching in the last 13 days or whatever, you know, it will be by the time this, this match occurs, uh, So, um, yeah, maybe they'll have a fresh outlook on life, uh, but we'll see. All
0: right. Last game of the weekend, uh, Sunday, April 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Rugby Network and Fox 5 San Diego. Rugby ATL is going cross-country to visit the Legion. Um, ATL was on a bye last week. Uh, Got a week to recover, get get some players back from injury. Uh, San Diego coming off a close heartbreaker. I'm going to go Rugby ATL by seven. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go San Diego minus four. Again, the, I can't exactly articulate it, but there's just something about ATL that has seemed a little lacking in the last few weeks, and my gut is telling me that San Diego might be on the come up, uh, you know, as, as they make this latter half of the season playoff push. Uh, yeah, so San Diego, I think, squeaks this one out. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with ATL.
2: I think. I think. See, it was just seems a little slower uh, to me. Yeah, just overall, I think play a little slower game. I'm not sure they to be able to keep up with the pace of ATL. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Rattles here by uh, by eight. All right. Any any last minute thoughts, guys? Nope. Uh, Happy Easter yeah. and Passover to those who who uh, celebrated this past week weekend
1: yeah.
0: well <laughs> All right. thank you for listening everyone once again we are Earful of Dirt you can find us on Instagram Twitter and Facebook at Earful of Dirt I am Joshua Fredlin you can find me at Josh Fred on Twitter at LeadSpeak. Speak. I was joined tonight by Liam Poach you can find him at Poacher Rugby on Twitter and by Craig Gurdelli you could find him at Fly Half on Twitter thank you for watching everyone go watch some rugby thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com.